pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for um, this church and this people that gather together to hear your word in the middle of wind or rain or snow, whatever happens. Um, we thank you for this time, and I pray that the words that come out of my mouth will be your words. Amen. Okay. Hi, guys. Uh, this is a new experience for me. I've never done this before. I have taught people and I have spoken out loud, so I assume I will get through it without dying. But if I do die, it is all written out, so somebody can just come up and finish it. Um, in case you don't know, my name is Karina, and this is my first sermon, so enjoy and good luck. The question that rattled around in my brain for weeks after choosing Mark 11 were, what is the point? Where are we going? What are you saying? And why am I doing this? When I read this passage of scripture, the picture that is painted in my brain is one of unexpected letdown and unexpected thrill. The Jesus has finally shown up, and the disciples are ready. This is their chance. They will be on top. Everyone is going to bow before their king, and they are in the front row. What happened? There were shouts. There was fulfillment of prophecies. There was excitement. People were ready to praise, and surely the army that would destroy their enemies would shortly be arriving. Jesus, Jesus showed up to a party, but he seems to have shown up late because the party was over and everyone went home. Then he wakes up to what I can assume are only slightly confused disciples, and then Jesus curses a tree because it didn't provide food. Now I can certainly understand the feeling of wanting to smite something because I'm hungry and I'm not getting food fast enough. I do not believe, though, that Jesus was simply angry when he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. But what was the point? What did he mean? So far, the answer I have is I don't know. I have not received a divine answer about what this sentence means, but what I do see and know is that this was unexpected. Then he flipped tables and made a lot of people really mad. This seems counterintuitive to me as a way to gather people to your side that, that would be helpful. If I see someone flipping tables now, I assume they are crazy and need help and walk the other way. Jesus did not take the high he rode in on and maximize it. He failed every self-help, business how-to, and pep rally out there. He did the unexpected in the way the world would say is wrong. We know the end of the story here, and that ultimately, he takes the unexpected route to victory. Knowing it on this side, we lose the unexpected thrills that the disciples followed. We have all been in moments when spouses, teachers, friends, pastors, etc. all seemed like they were going to be going one way, and made some weird turns, good or bad. There is a thrill to the not knowing. Have you and I lost the excitement of this story? God is showing us something important leading up to the Easter story, but do we skim over all the in-between because we know what is coming, and that is the story we really want to hear. There is a subtlety to the way God builds this story and tells the truth of what is happening, the portrait of the action he has painted for us. Do you hear the story, or are you skipping it because you know the end? Let's pause right now and hear the story. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. 
untie it and bring it. If any one of you, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king, our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve on the following day. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it, and they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in, bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations? But he made it. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed that you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God, truly I say to you, whoever who sits into this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea, but does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours and whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses today i'm not diving into each part of the story but rather touching on pieces of it but it is important that we heard the whole story because it paints the whole portrait of what jesus is doing and what he is really preparing the disciples for at the end of what will become our most cherished and holy gift the beginning of the story is one pretty much every Christian seems to know. It almost feels like it is covered in the introduction handbook of how to be a Christian, or at least that's how I heard it. most people teach it and how it felt when I first became a Christian. Hosanna in the highest, wave our palm trees, sing our praises, and prepare for the big show next week. Step into that moment, though. Lean into the tempo and the beat of this story of his words. What do you see? hear, feel, excitement, nerves, unexpected hope. Everyone is yelling and following and excited. As I said earlier, the disciples have to feel that feeling you have when you know it's your moment and you're going to win. They are the winners of Palm Sunday. But immediately the unexpected happens and Jesus turns the disciples away from glory. He turns them to prayer, action, prayer. I became a Christian at 19, and everything I stood on was chaos, pain, and unsettled ground. To me, this story was shocking and weird and hopeful, but everyone around me seemed to accept it with a casual glance and a shrug that you give any story you've heard already a hundred times. 
Mark 11:12 says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig leaf, a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of for figs. And he said to it, May you no one ever eat fruit for you again. And his disciples heard it. Pause there with those words. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Let those words really sink into our ears and hearts. He ended the tree. He had options. One, he's God. He could have literally told the tree to bear fruit, and bam, it has fruit. Two, he could have tried a different tree. And three, he could have eaten something else for breakfast. But he didn't, so I have to believe that this unexpected choice was not because he was hangry and in need of a snack, but because he was teaching his disciples and us. I'm a super super visual person, and inside my head, the only picture I can create is that the look on the disciples' face must have must have had was as they watched was one I've seen on my husband's face when I was pregnant and hungry and losing it and not getting food immediately. It is one of confusion, concern, and probably a little bit of fear. So why? Why did he pause here and tell us he didn't get his breakfast? What good is a fruit tree that bears no fruit? What purpose does it serve? I did look it up because I know nothing about any garden-related things and make a choice to learn as little as possible about them because I don't want to know. But apparently, fig trees can have leaves and no fruit. It either means that the tree is too young or something is wrong with the soil or hydration or it simply isn't fig season. But they can also grow little nubs that can be eaten before it is actual fig season, and that is probably what Jesus was looking for. So I assume it wasn't shocking to have a fig tree with leaves but without figs. So what good is a fig tree without figs? If we keep going into the story with our stunned, confused, and excited disciples, we go to the temple. We know what is about to happen. It isn't shocking for us because we've heard the story, but remember, we are putting ourselves in the place of the disciples. What would they have thought was going to happen? They probably were not prepared for Jesus to make everyone mad and make a big mess. Even though times now are very different, I am assuming based on my vast knowledge of all history that glory and winning look and feel very similar to how it feels now. Flipping tables of money over is the unexpected route to take for victory. Jesus says, Is it not written, My house shall be the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? That is a bold statement to say in that moment. It's in all the leaders watching him into fear and wanting to destroy him. The response Jesus has is to teach that his house is a house of prayer. What good is his temple without prayer? He is telling those that are listening we have to pray. The greatest action we are called to is prayer. So many of the things we are called to do require nothing more than the words tumbling out of our mouths and for us to wait and listen. Do we listen? Do we pray? I get it. Life is hard and life is full. I come from chaos and pain. The blood that runs through my veins is handed down through generations of people that rejected the gospel and rejected me when I accepted it. 
The first exposure to the cross I had was on Holy Week because of friends in high school. There were stories, these were the stories told, and everything in me broke and was put back together hearing these words long, long before I would ever begin to understand what any of them actually meant. What I knew, though, was that Jesus gave these words to me. He gave me the ability to speak directly to him without being fit enough to approach the crown. So are we skipping past this story because it is one that is cool to think about but uncomfortable to put into practice? Jesus is preparing his preparing the temple for what is to come. We know that now. Those around him don't. Lean into the beat of the story, the tempo that is running underneath it. It is building to something, and the more you listen, the clearer it becomes. As I read this passage over and over and prayed and prayed, it became almost shockingly clear to me that the answers to these questions are the questions. What good am I without prayer? What purpose can I hold without the fruit Jesus is offering? What are the tables that I am filling that need to be shockingly and unexpectedly flipped over? What is holding me back from bearing fruit? Jesus is making promises and the disciples don't know yet what promises are being made or what the fulfillment of those promises are going to look like. There are sacrifices that have to to be made and prayers that need to be prayed. We enter the last scene and we are brought back to this little fig tree that hangry Jesus smited. And Peter mentions it. The fig tree that you have cursed has withered. The tree not only died, but it was withered away to its roots. I don't know if you've seen a withered plant, but there's no coming back from being withered. Like It's not like it just is dead and you can save it. It was withered for not providing fruit. I can imagine, I can't imagine what the thoughts must be going through the, my head at this point. Standing there, seeing the tree that was alive and growing a day ago and now withered away. The awe of the power and the mere shock. Jesus is doing the unexpected thing. He is never making it obvious to those closest to him what his next step is. His response to Peter is to explain that they need to have faith in God, that it is prayer that is needed. Prayer. That if we can pray with enough faith, that we can move a mountain into the sea, what greater action could we be called to? He is calling them, us, to pray and forgive. These shocked, confused, dumbstruck disciples are not being asked to pick up their swords or plan for battles. The reality is, is that it is easier to have a plan and an action list, bullet points and a checklist to monitor our goals. It feels good to make a battle plan and put it into action and watch it work. But what does Jesus say? Prayer. They are told to pray in faith. The prayer, action prayer I spoke of earlier is this. We are simply and greatly called to pray. Through all of this scripture, we are seeing a simple story unfurl one that is easy to gloss over and move on from because Easter is coming. Easter is big and special and the one day of year I see the reason for hope because Jesus fulfilled his greatest promise. And before Easter we get Good Friday, a day that hurts and reminds us of the cost of the gift of Easter. Today is Palm Sunday and so what? Jesus started Palm Sunday with excitement and thrills. He could have continued that all the way to Easter Sunday, but he didn't. He immediately did the unexpected and took the disciples with him to lay the groundwork for what he wanted them to continue. Long after he was gone, all the way until we are here 
in this cold, windy parking lot. The walk into Holy Week is not easy, but it's not about the show on Easter. It's about Jesus and what he is doing, his work, his faith. He knew what was coming. He knew at the end of this week, he knew at the end of his week, he was going to end up on the cross for us. Do you know how hard it was for me last Sunday knowing that I would have to do this today? But Jesus gave us the perfect example of how we are to prepare. He didn't lay back and coast through. He didn't make it into a spectacle and command respect. He gave his followers a perfect example of quietly working towards the cross. Quietly working towards the cross is a way that serves and honors the truth of the gospel. He gave us the perfect example of what our lives should be. An everyday prayer, action prayer. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for...